Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hello everyone, good evening and welcome to episode 40 of the Bible Unmasked. I'm your host, LaVon Brown. Now today's episode marks a great achievement as we will be completing the books of the Old Testament. This is truly a testament of the teamwork and dedication of the team that continues to present or Bible readings week after week as we seek God's guidance in reading the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation in 2021. Now we wish to thank our viewers and everyone that has been reading along with us and submitting questions. And we pray that this program has been and will continue to be a blessing. As you know by now, the Bible Unmasked is our Bible study that is aired every Sunday, 7.30 p.m. on YouTube and Plantation SDA TV. And as we read, we want you to read along with us. So the reading plan is shared weekly during Sabbath service and on social media. Please take a few moments, just a couple seconds, and subscribe to the Plantation SDA Church's YouTube channel um, so that you can be automatically notified of future episodes and any other live stream event. Now, as you read along, of course, remember, as you read along, please text your questions in advance to 954-388-8780. Our pastors and Principal Stevenson will continue to address your questions weekly. So that being said, our presenter this evening is our very own youth pastor, Pastor Kevin McCoy. Good evening, Pastor. How are you today? Uh doing the best I can given the midst of the you know, midst of the circumstances. Yes. Um, grieving the death of my grandmother who was really dear dear to me. Um, raised me like a father and a mother. Um, but yes. <laughs> the, the hope of the resurrection is there. So yes. well amen. And 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 we agree with you. We agree with you. Our condolences to you and your family during this very difficult time. Thank you very yes. much. Yes. Okay. All right. So um, let us uh, we we let us take a look at our program for this evening. Um, last week we read um, Amos five through to Habakkuk three. Uh, but before we get into that, we're just going to have a quick word of prayer. Um, so let us pray. Heavenly Father. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray, dear Lord, that as we study, as we get into your word this evening, that we may gain a deeper understanding and come to know more about who you are. Be with Pastor McCoy uh, and his family as they are going through a very difficult time um, right now. Be with the viewers, be with all of us as we continue with this program, The Babylon Mask. And I pray, dear Lord, that we will all be blessed. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, thank you. Um, Pastor McCoy, could you briefly remind the viewers of what we covered last week? Right, so last week we actually looked into what we call the, the minor prophets, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we know that these prophets are referred to as minor, not because they're minor in significance, um, right because of the, the, the size of, of the books um, which, bear their, which bear their names. 
Um, so uh, these prophets, you know, all of these 12, uh, which make up the, the minor prophets, they, they, they prophesied some prior to, um, we call it those pre-exilic, and some after, which the, the exiles you call post-exilic. So we have a mixture of them in these 12. We looked at a few of them last week. Um, those referring to the Northern Kingdom, um, the prophets who prophesied before the Northern Kingdom, um, like Amos and all of those. Um, and, and these books, they, they uh, bear witness to the role of the prophets in their local communities. So these are also uh, to certain locals. They, they prophesied okay. to certain locals. So yeah, and yeah, so that's what we looked at last week. Right, right. And and this week, we're looking yeah. at Zephaniah 1 through to Matthew 4. Right. And um, some of these readings are very interesting. What do we have? <laughs> what, can you just give us a quick overview of what we're getting into for this week? Right. So in a similar way, these prophets are doing something similar to the, the rest in, the, in, the, in the, this minor, minor prophet corpus. They are challenging God's people to come back to God. They are speaking against some of the the injustices that are happening among God's people, um, explaining why they went into exile in the first place, how is God going to get them out, and uh, you know, a vision of the new community that they should form. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. We we have a couple questions from our viewers. Um, I notice, however, that all the questions are on Zachariah moving forward. Nothing on Zephaniah. Do you want to say anything about Zephaniah before we move into the questions? Um, it, as I said, it's, it, it's, it's in a similar way. To, these books yes. are so similar. Yes. That you read one, only thing you'll miss if, is the context, right? Mm -hmm. Because some are in the southern kingdom, some are in the northern kingdom. Yes. And so they're speaking to different rulers. But you'll find that the same situation, idolatry, injustice these are the things that dominate and cause the fall of god's people and god is challenging them through the prophets to give them hope and vision yes and for them to to renew the relationship with, with god yes so yes. that's kind of a, a central theme throughout these minor prophets okay and the prophets overall yeah all right thank you for that pastor all right so our first question this evening is come comes to us from zachariah 1 verse 8 it says, during the night, I had a vision, and there before me was a man mounted on a red horse. He was standing among the, mur uh, the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. So the question is, who is the man described in this vision? Right. So in, if we read in the context of, of that text, um, we're going to find that this, this person, this man standing among the myrtle tree, is actually the angel of the Lord, mm -hmm. right? Um, this is God's representative um, um, among God's people are in this vision, right? So let me, let me read something um, in verse 11, uh, coming down from verse 8. Then they spoke to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. Okay. We have patrolled the earth and lo, the whole earth remains at peace. So what we see is that this angel of the Lord is, is God's representative who is, and we're going to say some more about his role because I think there's a question coming up. But the, the, the God in this, in this vision, the angel of the Lord is, is doing God's work. It's as if God's representative um, um, patrolling and giving uh, 
signifying that God is actually has purview over the entire world. Because you see in verse 11, he's saying that they are patrolling the whole earth. So mm-hmm. this angel of the Lord is God's representative, um, which signifies that God has um, a purview over all that's happening. There's nothing that is missing from God's sight. God is seeing everything that is happening. So that's going to uh, set up set up for, for the things that are happening with, with, with the people's sin and how God is calling them out of that. So there's nothing that is hidden from God's view. Right. Because it's into the Lord is, is, is patrolling and, and mm-hmm. giving, as it, as it were, relaying information to God. Okay. Okay. All right. And the next question is Zechariah 2, verse 6. It says, Come, come, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. And so the question is, um, the, the viewer is asking you to explain that verse. As we, know, know, as we noted many times, Israel, the people of Israel, whether in the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, they were dispersed into foreign lands because of, of their, their sins and idolatries and stuff like that. And here, this is kind of a, a, a call or a promise of hope that God is going to return them to, to Jerusalem, to Zion, the promised place. Right, they're going, to replay, they're going to return to the place where God's presence dwells, that is Jerusalem. So it's a promise of hope to the people, right? That God is going to call them from wherever God has this person, God is going to bring them back. So as I mentioned, sin brought them into captivity, into exile, but God is uh-huh. bringing them back from where they were dispersed. And so this is one of the messages of hope, the promises of hope that God will bring them back together. Right, right. Amen for that. And that is very good to know. <laughs> that we, yeah. will be, we, we, be, we will be gathered together. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it reminds us that, that when, we, when we fall and when we sin and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and we bear the punishment for our sin, there, the end of it is that God, God wants to bring us back to God. We want, God wants to bring us back to the place where God's presence yes. dwells. Yes. God wants always for us to be in a relationship. So mm-hmm. don't give up if we are out there. We feel as if God has cast off. God is sending a message of hope. <laughs> message there is always hope. hope. There is yeah. always hope. And that's what we studied in our quarterly. Um, right. the last, last quarter, we're looking at the message of hope, you know, and rest and everything. All right. So um, many, it says in Zechariah 2, verse 11, that many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Um, what's the significance of this verse? What day is being referred to here? Right, so as we read earlier in verse 6, mm-hmm. this, this promise, it's speaking about the day when that promise will be fulfilled. Yes. Right? That promise that God will bring them back um, to Jerusalem, to this place of hope. So what, 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 what this, this verse is actually saying is that God's going to bring as I said, the many nations, and notice the many nations, not just Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. So what it sends is that even those who are opposed or enemies are opposition to God's people and even God on that day, when um, through God's people uh, and, and their changed lives, they too who were once opponents or enemies of God will one also be gathered into Jerusalem, which is God's mm-hmm. chosen place of dwelling. So it's not just a message of hope to Israel. We see, we saw as in verse, uh, I think verse six, but right. now in verse 11, we are seeing that God is actually sending a message of hope to the entire world 
all peoples will be gathered um, in God's presence, in God's chosen place, Zion, um, Jerusalem. Yeah. And that's, that's actually the message of, of John in Revelation, mm-hmm. right? Um, in, in, in John, in Revelation 21, and also in the Gospel of John, where Jesus comes together, all people of God, it's not just the Jews, but in Revelation, um, uh, we, we see where God is gathering all people, all peoples are being gathered to God. Those who were once enemies are coming now into the fold. Bring his children to him. Right. Yes, yes. All right. So the next question comes to us from Zechariah 3, 3 to 4. Mm. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy, filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Should we take this verse literally? I mean, what should we get rid of when our sins are taken away? Right, so um, this was actually about Joshua, right? Um, this was the, 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 the centerpiece of that, that vision, as it were, because this, what we're seeing here is um, an investiture of, of Joshua into the high priest's role, right? Okay. And though it's, it's referring to Joshua um, in, a, in a vision, um, we're not going to say take it literally, but we can, we can apply it then. We can apply it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what it says to us is that God is a God of grace because that's what we're witnessing in this, right? Because we have here Joshua in filthy clothes. We have Satan, the accuser. Right. right? And I, I think we also have in this, 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 well, whoever God sent, you know, the angel, Right. So what we see is a transformation um, from sinfulness to a covering of God's righteousness. Right. So the hope it gives us is that God is a God of grace, even though Satan comes to accuse and says, listen, this person is filthy. He, he's wrong. He is sinful. And God sees the sins and the filthiness. God still says, listen, with Christ's righteousness, I'm willing to clothe you. Right, sins be a scarlet. Right, right, right. Yes, God is willing to to cleanse us and and to give us um cover us into Christ's righteousness and to draw us near to God and make us worthy of that relationship. And so it's actually um an image of how gracious God is, but also a message of hope for us who find ourselves sometimes in filthy garments. Mm-hmm. And um. The response, notice, as I said, it was an investiture for Joshua into the role of the high priest. Mm-hmm. Now, the high priest is not is expected to be up to, to wear um, the, the priestly the, the garb, um, to wash himself daily, to, to cleanse himself, and to live and to observe the law of God and to offer sacrifice in the temple. And to fun- there's a certain function for the high priest, right? So when the question is asked, what, what should we get rid of when our sins are taken away? It is... The practices and the lifestyle. That is not like God. <laughs> right, right. Yes. First, first and foremost, let us to be covered in filthy garments. Right. So when we now as priesthood of believers, because all of us now through Christ, we become a body of believers, a body of priests, all of us. We now uh, minister before God daily through our prayers, through our submission, through our fasting, through our obedience, through our witness, through our study of God's words. We now... I remain in this priestly garb or in this robe of righteousness in the way, in a new lifestyle, by living a new lifestyle. 
And so these these filthy clothes are symbolic of you know everything that we right. were, were struggling with before that we now need to release and let go and let God, you know. So and it and it, it can be a daily it's a daily um, activity. It's not as if you're just going to do it once and that's it. You have to continuously cleanse yourself and come before the Lord for a renewing of the spirit. Right. Right. Okay. All right. The next question is Zechariah four verse six. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. This is, an, this is a very often quoted verse. And so the question is, what does it really mean? Right. So this is referring, um, I'm going to read in context and also in the book of Haggai, mm -hmm. we recognize that uh, Zerubbabel was, was a very important figure in terms of the rebuilding of the temple. Right, and we know that there was a, a lot of issues with that. Um, so while we have the prophets uh, Zechariah and Haggai giving this kind of moral and spiritual support, um, the weight of the burden was really upon Zerubbabel to ensure that all the work was done. Mm -hmm. Right, and so the idea that not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, is that God is going to open the way in a similar way as what God did with. Um, with Nehemiah, right? Um, God allowed Nehemiah to get uh, passed from the king to go to Jer Jerusalem. God allowed him to get uh, materials to build the temple. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a similar way in which God's going to allow the rebuilding of the temple to be a peaceful process, and there wouldn't be any issues with the Persian, with the Persian, the Persian rule, right? And the Persian king, there wouldn't be any opposition. Right. It would be a free flowing process, and so. Though Zerubbabel had to be there to guide the process and all of that, it was really, he was really God's instrument in the process. And so it was a word of encouragement for him that he shouldn't be burdened or overcome by the weight of the responsibility, right? And to say, depend on God, mm -hmm. right? Depend on the spirit of God and not by your strength, right? Might can be their strength or, or vigor or whatever, right? Don't depend on who we are as human beings to accomplish what God has called us to do. The God who calls us is a God who will equip us and yes. provide a way for us to do what God has called mm -hmm. us to do. So that's kind and of the basic And we see right that throughout the Bible. When, he, when Moses was called, he had an excuse. When, uh, you know, it, it, it happens and then God, God is still there saying, I will equip you. Yeah, he has called you and he will equip you. Yeah. Right, right. All right, so um, Zechariah 4 verse 14. Um, so he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Who are the two being referred to in, referred to in this verse? Right. So um, when I read it, I'm, he, I'm seeing in, in chapter three, we just spoke about um, Joshua, how he was in, in, invested into the high priest's role. Right. And God blessed him and gave him a new righteous garment and, you know, he was ready for the task. So in a sense, he was anointed to in that, in that role. Zerubbabel now, um, we see again as another figure um, who God is working with the spirit, working upon with the spirit for him to accomplish the task of rebuilding the temple. And so based when I read it from the, um, from the narrative flow of the, of, of, the, of, the, of the book, I'm sensing that these two anointed ones would actually be um, in chapter three, mm -hmm. um, Joshua, and in chapter four, 
Zerubbabel. So that's that's how that's how I would, I would answer that. Yeah, um, these okay. are the two who are anointed to to, anointed. to earth, right? Anointed, and we're going to see that in also in Revelation when we come to that down the road. We're getting there. Um, that there are there are two witnesses, and we're going to see that Re Revelation is in some way drawing on Zechariah to mm -hmm. make a point, which I'll leave until that time. Right? Two <laughs> okay. witnesses, which and that's the thing about on. the Bible; it's all connected. It's all right, connected. Right, yes. right, right. All right. So we're. Um, Zechariah 5, 5 to 11, then the angel that talked with me went forth and said unto me, lift up now thine eyes and see what it um, is this that goeth forth. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is an ephah that um, goes forth. Or is it the ephah? He said, yeah. moreover, this is their resemblance um, through all the earth. And um, basically, the, the, from 5 to 11, it speaks about the woman in a basket. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I was reading it. I was like, well, you know, us women, we just can't get a break. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the yeah. question is, what does a woman in the woman in the basket signify? Yeah. And unfortunately, women, the, the, the image of women were used for both Good and bad. Well, if you represent good, <laughs> yeah. good and evil, yeah, yeah. yeah unfortunately. <laughs> um, but in this context, when we recognize it, it, it seems as if this woman in the basket is actually um, is uh, probably an idol. Mm -hmm. Right? It seems as if this this because when you read it, it says, "The angel of the Lord talked with me and came mm -hmm. forward, and said to me, look and see what this is. Yeah, it's coming out.'" I said, "What is it?" He said. This is a basket coming out, and he said, "This is their iniquity in all the land, right?" Mm -hmm. And verse eight, and he said, "This is wickedness." So he thrust her back into the basket, mm -hmm. and pressed the laden weight down on its mouth. So it seemed as if this basket was 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 carrying an idol, you know, the, the transport, the, the right, okay, right to carry the idol. Mm -hmm. So, and listen how the idol is described, or the woman in the basket is described as this is their iniquity in other land. This is their wickedness. So it suggests that this idol in the basket, this woman in the basket is actually an idol which they which which was used for idol worship. Mm -hmm. And that's why the command was given to thrust her back into the basket and cover it up. Okay. You know, hide this abomination, this wicked thing from yes. our sight as it were. Oh okay, okay. Right. That's that's pretty clear. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to Zechariah uh, 6, verse 5. It says, the angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. And um, what are the four spirits of heaven? That's the question. Right. So in a sense, it brings us back to chapter 1, because mm -hmm. in chapter 1 is where we, I think we saw the, 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 um, the chariots and the horses first, right? Um, right. Let me find that verse there. Verse um, three, and speaks about the different color horses. Now, uh, these horses have, um, you know, these these chariots and horses, you know, symbol of mm -hmm. power and all of that. Um, but they are really in use in this sense to represent the angels of God, right? And let me see if I can find the reference verse of that in chapter six. I think I put down. Right, it says, these angels, verse 5, right? 
Then these angels answered me, these yes, are the four winds of the heavens going out after, uh, going after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. So these are representatives of God, right? These four spirits are representatives of God or angels going forth with God's judgment upon the earth, right? So as the, the, the man in the, under the myrtle tree was an mm-hmm. the angel of the Lord, right? You know, in a similar way, these spirits are God's angels um, sent forth um, to bring about God's judgment. And we're going to see that also in, again, in Revelation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? So Revelation we're going to find, and I'm not, and I'm trying not to preempt everything right here. Yes. Revelation we're going to recognize um, lays heavily on this book, Zechariah, for a lot of oh. its interpretation. Okay. okay. Right? A lot of what's happening in Revelation draws back on this very book. Yes. And okay. that's for another time. And these are all visions. Right, Zechariah. right, right. Yeah. Okay. Right. But as we look in chapter six, the, the vision of chapter six was to show God's sovereignty, yes. right? And God's power, not just over Israel, but also over the Persian, the mm-hmm. Persian authority, the Persian government yeah. rule, mm-hmm. right? right? So that God's, God has had total authority, that even though Israel, God's people were under the Persian rule, God was over, even over the Persians. Okay. Right. So it's, it's a symbol of God's Supreme overall. All right. So this is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. That's taken from Zechariah 8 verse 23. So -hmm. the question is, is Jesus the Jew that is being referred to here? Right. So this, this Jew... As it says, you know, the, the, um, in those days, people from all languages and nations will take from whole of one Jew. So it's not referring to a specific Jew. It's just saying right. a Jamaican, an American, mm-hmm. a Haitian, uh, um, you know, um, a Canadian, something like that. Um, but the significance is that... Ten people. Ten people, right? Right. <laughs> that uh, Israel, as God's people, most time... Mm-hmm. When God is speaking judgment about proclaiming a judgment through prophets on Israel, you, you, sometimes we hear God's, or God or the prophets saying that God will make Israel a byword, right? Like a joke among the people. When they okay. hear Israel, they're like, oh, those people who hear God kill them off or something like that, you know? Yeah. But here, God is kind of flipping the script and saying, instead of you being a byword, you are going to be celebrated. Yes. And even these people, we want to come with you before God. So let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. See, see, yeah. see the thing now? So yeah. when God's against them, they are a byword. Um, those, those Israelites yeah. who their God kill them off. But now God is for them. Oh, wow. These are the people of this mighty God. Let us go with them. Mm-hmm. Their God is a great God. So right. Right. here now, again... People are recognizing God's authority, mm-hmm. right? God's God's power over all the nations. Right. Right. Amen. Well, what a day. <laughs> what a day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zechariah 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter, um, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king come uh, comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the pole of a donkey. 
Um, is this another passage referring to the coming of Jesus? Right. So in, in the context of Zechariah, it is referring to the coming of the righteous king or the Messiah or a uh, Davidic descendant, a descendant of, of David, right? Now, in the New Testament, we find that um, Matthew um, applies this to Jesus because we see where Jesus sends them off to get a, get a donkey, mm-hmm. or, or, well, donkey or colt. In different versions, in different books, it's it's kind of different, which I'm not going to yeah. touch until we get to the New Testament. We know what it is. Which is something <laughs> to myself, right? Yes. Uh, but in this, in this book, um, it's referring to the king who is going to come, this, this victorious figure, this righteous Messiah, this descendant of David, who they are awaiting. Mm-hmm. Now, Math, Matthew, and uh, I think it's Luke, looking at this, sees in Jesus' ministry where he is fulfilling this uh, prophecy by Zechariah. And they're like, okay, Jesus comes in riding a donkey, riding a colt, we'll talk about right. that. But they see in Jesus' ministry and life, his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. They're like, okay, well, he's fulfilling scripture. So he then must be the Messiah. He must be the king. He must be this descendant of David, which when we go to Matthew, we're going to see, um, we're going to see that oh, how Matthew, Matthew is setting this up for us to believe mm-hmm. that there's no doubt that Jesus is actually a descendant of David and oh, yes. this Messiah who is promised. We're going to see that. Oh, yes. We see who Matthew's begat who and who begat who. And it yes. leads us all the way through yes. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And in Zechariah 11, 4 to 17, it speaks about two shepherds. So the, the question is, they're asking that, you know, you, you explain this passage. Right. So, um, Again, as we see visions, prophecies. So we're finding here that God, God is talking about uh, giving a vision of God's people and, 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 and the leaders coming for God's people, right? And so Zacharias told to, to act out, right? The rules of these two different kind of, kind of shepherds. So it's, this is one of the sign acts. They call these sign acts, right? Um, but essentially... The, the first shepherd was to demonstrate how God would, the, the behavior of Zachariah as a first shepherd would show how God would reject um, his people as, as sheep, right? And the second would demonstrate how God would give over his people to, to evil shepherds. Um, so this, this was actually kind of a, a warning for, for, for God's people, right? It was actually kind of a warning for God's people. All right. So, um, all right. Well, then let's move on to, um, were you going to give another, uh, say something further on it? Or? That's fine. Let's go ahead. That's fine. Oh, okay. 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 All right. So Zechariah 12, 10 to, 10 to 14. I'll, I'll try and quickly read through this one. <laughs> all right. So it says, and I, and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as a mourning of Hadadrimon in the valley of Megiddon. And Mm -hmm. the land shall mourn 
every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, the family of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shemel and their wives apart, all the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. So the question here, is a prophet predicting the death of Jesus in this passage? So in a similar way, I would respond, right? Yes. Um, um, notice, notice though that this, this is this uh, the grief, the way the 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 grief is being described is complete, right? It's like mm -hmm. the house everyone. of Israel. It's, it's <laughs> this piercing. Of Levi and their wives apart. Everyone. This piercing <laughs> is going to affect everyone. Yes. Right. No one will be will escape this the, the effect of this this piercing. It will, it will cause complete grief for um, the house of Israel or Israel, right? Um, so um, eventually, um, the, prop, the, the the gospel writers mm -hmm. looking back at at this again, seizing Jesus' own experience mm -hmm. of him being pierced on the cross sees where he is fulfilling scripture, right? And so that's how we apply, we apply. So I, I notice I read this from the gospel writers looking backwards um, rather than the Zechariah looking forwards. Okay. And some people say, yes, he's specifically speaking about Jesus. Um, I'm not saying that's not the case, uh -huh. but I, I'm, I'm addressing it from how the Bible presents it. The gospel writers looking back and seeing this as an event of Jesus' life and ministry where he was pierced, they're saying, well, then Zechariah must have been talking about this experience. Mm -hmm. Right? So, yes, in a, yes, it's predicting Jesus' death in the sense that the prophets, the, the, the gospel writers saw Jesus' life and ministry or an event in his life and ministry being fulfilling, fulfilling the words of Zechariah. Okay. All right, so we that is it for the questions in Zechariah. So you can take a deep breath. <laughs> All right, we're now we have three questions from Malachi <laughs> and one from Matthew. So um, Malachi two verse sixteen, it says, "The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect," says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Mm. So the question is, are there any circumstances when divorce is permitted? Right. And I just so want to point out that the spirit of prophecy speaks to times when divorce is permitted. Yeah, uh, yeah. In, in the in your writings, yeah. But anyway, so, so go ahead. Let me, let me read a verse, uh, let me see. Let me just go, go back to verse 15 and come to verse 16 and, and go down. To ver okay. Yeah, go down to verse 16, right. Did not God make her? Both flesh and spirit are his. And what does, what does the one God desire? Godly offspring. So look to yourselves and do not let anyone be faithless to the wife of his youth. Mm -hmm. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and the covering of one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to yourselves and do not be faithless so obviously in this passage there is a sense where now let's let's talk about the cultural context mm -hmm. 
Uh-huh. Now, the practice of divorce was exclusively the right of men. They had the right to divorce and stuff like that, right? It, women didn't kind of have that, that, that right or authority yeah. to, to propose in the divorce. It was a, a man's world, uh-huh. right? But notice that there's some condemnation um, of, the, of, the, of, of the Judean men, right? Because we're sensing that they are divorcing, that the text is suggesting um, that they are divorcing their, their godly wives or their mm-hmm. Judean wives for foreign, to marry foreign women, oh. right? Because it says, and what does God desire? Godly offsprings, right? And we have read before in, I think, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, the, the kind of intermarrying and all of those things. We saw the conflicts with intermarrying and how they push back against those things. So godly offsprings can, can come, um, it suggests, from, from the wife of your youth. And that is in verse 15 too, right? Mm-hmm. Can only come from the wife of your youth, which is one whom you were raised with, um, one of your own kind, a Judean. So that, yes, one of your own kind. Right, it's, it's a right? Right. It's a pushback on on that. But it's not only a pushback on their relationship as a couple, but also a pushback on you break that relationship. It's it's affecting your spiritual relationship also with with God. Right. We get that sense where we're in in, in the text. Right. Um, When God says that uh, the covering of one's garment with. I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, the covering of one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed lest yourselves be faithless or unfaithful, right? So we see where there's a correspondence, as it were, between their acts of uh, wanting to divorce their wives mm-hmm. for the purpose of, of um, getting foreign wives and how that will affect their relationship with God. Because we see where how that played in, in Solomon's life, right? Where his foreign wives caused him to go off towards other gods and stuff like that. So that's kind of the condemnation and warning here. Now, to this question, are there any circumstances when divorce is permitted? Uh, and I directly took this from the, the church manual, right? Okay. <laughs> the church manual. Which is a good place to start. And I'm reading it word for word. <laughs> I'm reading this word for word, yes. page 157 um, from the voted version in 2015, mm-hmm. right? Scripture recognizes adultery and fornication, Matthew 5.23, and abandonment by an unbelieving partner, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 to 15, as grounds for divorce, mm-hmm. right? And when I, when I, there's a part more I want to read from verse, from, sorry, not verse, from page 58 to 59. Unfaithfulness in the marriage vow has generally been seen to mean adultery or fornication. However, the New Testament word for fornication includes certain other sexual irregularities. Therefore, sexual perversions, including incest, child abuse, and homosexual mm-hmm. practices are also recognized as misuse of sexual powers and violation of the divine, divine invitation to marriage. As such, they are just cause for separation or divorce. Separation. So that's the church manual, which, which, which I refer to. Um, 
but I noticed, noticed there's some, some texts that are referenced there, Matthew 5, 32, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 15, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 1 Timothy 1, 9 and mm-hmm. 10, Romans 1, uh, 4, 24 through 27. Okay. So there's a, there's a position, that the, the, the Seventh Adventist Church has taken a position mm-hmm. on that, and that's what I just it's read. It's on their yeah. reading of the Bible. That right. Is, right. 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 Okay. Well, hopefully our viewer will um <clears throat> will be watching and will take note of those texts that you also mentioned, so we can you know further reading can be done on the topic. Okay, so Malachi three eight twelve right with a mere mortal rob God yet you rob me but you ask how are we robbing you in tithe and offerings you are under a curse your whole nation because you are robbing me bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That's from the New International Version. So... Mm -hmm. There are two questions here in relation to to these texts. Um, Number one, are there immediate consequences when we withhold our tithe? For example, some believe that bad things happen to us when we don't return return our tithe faithfully. Right. So let's talk about what's happening in Malachi right here, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So the people are kind of attributing their difficulties to God's, to, 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 they perceive that the difficulties they're experiencing is because of God's, you know, unkindness. God is not kind to them or God is not kind to them. But but God is actually saying to them that it's not that I am unkind or unfaithful. It's because that you are failing Mm -hmm. to fulfill um, your responsibility of returning the tithe to the, the temple storehouse. Mm-hmm. Right, so it is not on God the difficulties that they're experiencing, right? It's on the people's uh, um, um, behavior and their actions. Mm-hmm. So God is addressing a fear that they have, right? And the, these two questions um, is a presupposition of fear behind them too. Here they are. Mm-hmm. Are the immediate consequences, right? Yes. <laughs> With all our tides. Um, some believe, right? So God doesn't want us to approach this matter or responsibility of tithing okay. from a, a perspective or a, or a stance of fear, mm-hmm. right? Because God outlines to them, listen, I can pour everything and give to you. So, so don't fear, don't, don't fear that you can't get it. Or can, I, I can't provide it. Mm-hmm. What I want you to do is to fulfill your responsibility, your part that I have I've, I've outlined for you, your responsibility. As now, stewards, as stewards right, of the right. gift that he has given us, yes. Right. So yeah. here's a question. Are there immediate consequences when we hold our tithes? Um, if, I, if I ask our call before, which I wouldn't do, I'm just, you know, just saying if, mm-hmm. you'll find that there are persons who withheld their tithe and nothing happened to them. They're still doing well. 
they're still doing fine. Yes. We find that there are some who who withheld they, and, they and they, they withheld and they still found themselves and they, and they found themselves in difficulty. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the question, you know, God but is can not I say, with, Pastor, also you find that there are people who faithfully tithe and they right. still find themselves in difficulty. Oh yes, oh definitely, yeah. definitely. <laughs> yes. Definitely. Definitely. So the the returning of tithe should not be dependent on the fear of consequences. Mm-hmm. It should be on the responsibility, on the promise that when I give, mm-hmm. I will not go empty. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's what the text says. Um, prove me now. If you think there are negative consequences are coming, give me, return to me what is mine and see what will happen. Prove me. Yes. Test me. Put me to the test, God says. What more do you so, want? This is a promise that God is making, the Lord is making to us right here and now. You know, prove me now, says the Lord of hosts. You know, so, right. yeah, it is, it is our responsibility to, to do our right. part. Yes. So, so, so for, it says, for example, some believe that bad things happen to us when we don't return our tithes and faithfully. Mm-hmm. As I said, as I mentioned before, and, and that's just by basic observation of life, right? Basic sub- observation that, Sometimes they are difficulties that arise. Sometimes they are not. Mm-hmm. But our giving should not be dependent on the anticipation of the consequences, negative consequences, but on the promise of blessing. Yes. So we give. Because the, 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 the text also says you are under a curse. <laughs> Your yes. whole nation because you are robbing me. Yes. So I can yes. understand yes. where the, 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 the questions would be coming from. Like, Oh my God, what's going to happen to us if we don't <laughs> return our tithe, you know? So, so that, that fear that the people, that fear um, that existed among the Israelites, the, the people of God, is what, is what, what was evoked in this question. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So here's the next question. Also, some believe that we should return our tithes mm-hmm. from our gross income. Why? Why? So the question is... Um, Tithing is supposed to be returned on our income, right? Mm-hmm. So my question would be, and it's, it's a question for clarity. My question would be, what is your income? Is your income your gross or your, or net? your, your, your net? Right. <laughs> right. right? Um, if you, when you get your, your pay slip, um, mm-hmm. it shows a total that you, you, get, you get paid right mm-hmm. right and and that's your your gross that's what you earned that's your income and then uncle and so, sam has to get his cut render to caesar what is caesar to god yeah. God. <laughs> yeah now under certain circumstances mm-hmm. just to make a parallel under certain circumstances depending on the tax bracket that certain persons fall in mm-hmm. if you fall in a certain tax tax, tax bracket your tax will be on your, your entire gross. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, in certain circumstances, if they're, if they're um, child credits and if they are a certain, certain, if you fall in certain tax brackets, as I mentioned, you know, your tax won't be on your entire gross, mm-hmm. right? Because you get some tax cuts. Right. But in certain circumstances, your tax will be on your gross. On everything, right. On everything. Mm-hmm. Now, if Caesar is taking a tax on the total yes. amount, the gross, mm-hmm. it suggests that God indeed 
right? Mm -hmm. uh, deserves. Is deserving. Is mm -hmm. deserving. Yeah. To, to, to receive on the gross because mm -hmm. that's what we get. That's what we earn. That's our earning. Yes. Right. I've never, I've never heard it put that way. You know what you said about <laughs> if Caesar is getting on the gross. Yeah. Why is get Why is then God getting on the net? You know, because yeah, <laughs> so yeah. you not deserve. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So when we talk about the net, we are saying the net is after all the the withholdings. Mm -hmm. Um. Whether that is um, for um, it's for health insurance. Mm -hmm. Whether it's for um, retirement. You know, and then you get mm -hmm. all of that. What you get after all that is withheld. That's mm -hmm. a net. Um, we don't. We don't. That's not our total earnings because we paid into um, retirement. Mm -hmm. We paid into our health insurance. We paid into our life insurance. We paid into our flex spending account or, or something like that, right? Um, so it has to be on the gross. Yeah. The point of it, it has to be on the gross. Mm -hmm. And some people will say, oh, but I have no control over taxes and, you know, what is taken out of my, my salary and all of that. You know, it's just taken. So whatever is left essentially is my income. But the fact is you have a responsibility to pay yeah. taxes. So and, it's not and, as if we can wiggle our way out of it, even though a lot of people have done so successfully. But um, <laughs> you do have a responsibility to, to Caesar and even more so a responsibility to God. Yeah, let me acknowledge something though. Um, it, is, it is difficult. And especially here in South Florida where cost of living is so, is so, is so high. Mm -hmm. Now I, I read something just to, 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 to emphasize the point. I read an article the other day that says that rental uh, um, renters in in Florida, their rent is costing almost forty percent of their their pay, and it should be at about I think the article said about fifteen or twenty percent oh. or something like that. What it means is that, uh, and they're talking about how mm -hmm. the cost of living has gone up, but um, pay hasn't been raised, mm -hmm. and so. You know, there's there, so I know that people are experiencing difficulties financially, financial difficulties. It, it's difficult out there. Um, and so I, I, I hear those who are saying, Pastor, I have to put it on the, on the net. I can't do the gross. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I know it is difficult, but I'm encouraging you, as the scripture says, prove God. Oh, God to his word. I'm encouraging you to just just prove God. That's that's yeah. the most I can say because I don't know how difficult your circumstance is. I don't know how, how hard you you you're finding it monthly to, and some people can't even live paycheck to paycheck. They're yeah. living um worse than that. Mm -hmm. And I want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Right. And also encourage you to to trust God in the process. Mm -hmm. Um. And at the same time, find ways to to increase your income. Um. And I might be speaking to the choir. Mm -hmm. If I should say get a second job, I might have to tell you to get a third job, which you can't do. <laughs> no, you, can't. you have well, to not time to pray. <laughs> you, exactly. So yeah. I want to acknowledge that that it is very, very difficult right now um, to live on a salary, um, mm -hmm. especially in South Florida, given the cost of living. I want yes. to acknowledge that and say it is difficult, but we have a God who is able and encouraging us to, to trust that God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's move on to Malachi 4, verse 5. And um, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So the question is, this verse re references Elijah. Um, it is referring to Elijah's ministry when he was on earth. 
uh, sorry, the question is, is it referring to Elijah's ministry when he was on earth? Wasn't Elijah already taken to heaven when the book of Malachi was written? Is the Bible written in a chronological order? Or is the verse announcing that Elijah will be sent from heaven before the great and deceitful day? So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a number of questions. Yes, and I'm just going yes. to give What do you get? Yeah. So, um, uh, the book of the Bible is not written in chronological order. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that, that's a point of order. That, that um, mm -hmm. it's not, not necessarily written in chronological order because um, when you take even in the New Testament, you see Matthew, the Gospels come before the Pauline writings. And based on, on evidence within the, the con, based on the, the, this, the contents of the books, we find that even Paul wrote earlier than, than some of the Gospels, right? Earlier than, than, than Luke. Paul probably wrote earlier than some of them. So chronologically, the Bible is not mm -hmm. written not or written outlined, outlined right. in chronological order. Mm -hmm. um, let me pick another question in, in the midst of that. So Elijah, is it speaking about Elijah's ministry while, while he was on earth? Um, it's referencing Elijah, but it, what it's, it's suggesting is that someone will come in the spirit or in the frame of reference of Elijah will function in a similar way to Elijah, mm -hmm. right? Now notice that, well, not notice, but because it's not evident there, the time span between Malachi and Matthew is about 400 years. Okay. Right? It's about 400 years when there is in or in or canon, and by canon I mean in or Bible, there's a, there is no documents or scriptures for the intertestamental period, which is the period between Malachi and um, Matthew. Mm -hmm. In some canon, in probably the Orthodox um, Bible or, or some Bibles are not the Protestant Bible, you'll find that they have documents or books from the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. So it would seem as if there is a, a silence or there is no voice of God within that 400 year period, right? Um, but this, this person is going to come in the spirit and, and, and the, the frame of reference and the work and ministry of what, of, of Elijah, right? And when you look in the New Testament, um, Jesus said it, um, and, and the gospel writers are portraying John the Baptist as this person who comes in that spirit and doing that kind of work, right? So John the Baptist is is doing that kind of work of preparing the way for Jesus to come, right? Because say, I'll send my prophet to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So before Christ comes, John the Baptist comes, we see in Matthew, preparing the way, preaching and, and calling people to repentance because one is coming who is greater than I am, who's, you know, whose lace I cannot unloose, that's in, in, in the gospel mm -hmm. of John. Right. And he's telling in Matthew the soldiers to come and repent. And, um, you know, this axe is going to be laid at the tree, uh, we can read those in, in Matthew and, and the Gospels, right? But he's doing a kind of a preparatory work for the, for the Lord's coming. Mm -hmm. Now, again, in the end time, uh, this, uh, um, uh, a movement, 
as we say in Adventism, a movement will be raised up again in the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. And mm -hmm. we can talk more about that when we get to Revelation and stuff, but these are just precursors, right? I see you're anxious to get to Revelation first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that, that's the last book of the Bible and it's filled with so much hope. There are yeah. monsters, there are things that will cause you nightmare, but if you look closely, you will see this victorious Christ Amen. Um, proclaiming victory for us. Amen. Revelation. We'll Amen. get to you when we come. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, our final question for this evening is Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. So the question is, um, I, the, the, reader, the viewer says, I tend to skip over this chapter when I read mm -hmm. the Bible. Should I go back and read what seems to be just a list of outdated names? What is the significance of the genealogy of Jesus? Does it matter and why? Right, so genealogies are very important because they are they, they give an account of origin, right? Mm -hmm. You know how Genesis, you know how we have the book of Genesis chapter one, they kind of give like an origin story, right? They tell us how the world came about, like they're giving origin and also emphasizing God as the as a source of our creation. The, the genealogy functions in a similar way in which um, it, it wants to prove um, Christ's connection mm -hmm. um, to, the, to, to the promise of God, right? To God's promise um, to, to Abraham, that Abraham's seed, even going back to, to Genesis, right? In, in chapter, chapter three, what we call the proto-evangelium, the promise that um, the woman's seed will crush the head of, of, of the, the, the seed of the serpent, right? Going back to then, we see where Matthew is making a, a very intentional and deliberate move to place Christ in the bloodline of, or as a relative or descendant of not just um, Abraham, but also David, mm -hmm. right? To suggest that, not just to suggest, but to indicate very strongly and Matthew is what Matthew Matthew is one of those writers, and, and that's why I love the book of Matthew. Mm -hmm. He's one of those writers who use the Old Testament in a very, very strategic way mm -hmm. in, in making his point and making his argument. He's not you, he's not he's not saying, um, I just believe this or this is at the top of my head. He's saying, Listen, you believe in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible? Yes. Well, this is what the Hebrew Bible says about this man. And if you believe the Hebrew Bible, you need to believe what this man says, who he is. And so he's saying this Jesus, who you're going to read about in this book, when you read of it, when you read about him, you need to recognize that he is actually the seed of Abraham, right? You need to recognize that he's actually the descendant of, a of David, who will come as God's royal messiah. Right, he is the one who's going to come and fulfill all of those prophecies. So he's giving us clues as how to read the book of Matthew. Mm -hmm. So these are clues, um, interpretive clues and context that Matthew is providing for the readers of his book. Mm -hmm. So when you read the book, pay attention. Right, there's something about this man Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right, um, in various and different ways, you're going to find how he is connected to David and he's connected to Abraham. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's writing the book to emphasize that Jesus is the one who was promised. Here is yeah. your king. Here is your Messiah. 
um, the descendant of Abraham, and and God has fulfilled His promise. Amen. I wish I was going to do math here. Pastor McCoy, thank you so much for being yeah, with us today. Yeah. I know it's a difficult time for you, given everything that's happened. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you for taking the time out to walk us through these questions. Really appreciate it. And our prayers and our thoughts are with you and your family, you know, during this difficult time. Um, so for our viewers, just want to let you know next week we will be studying Matthew 5 through to 22. And um, we want you to read along with your friends and family and text your questions in at, at, to 954-388-8780. And um, our host for next week is going to be Pastor Gerwin Marsh. And um, so, sorry, yes, our presenter, sorry, <laughs> is Pastor Gerwin Marsh. And so, so again, read along with us. Um, Matthew 5 through to 22. Um, Pastor McCoy, what, what should we expect to be reading in reading in Matthew 5 through 22? Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak about it by using one of the, the, the key themes, um, one of my favorite subjects, the kingdom of God. Right? Yes. Um, look out for the kingdom of God in the book of Matthew. Mm -hmm. um, look at the ways in which Matthew is making very intentional efforts to prove that Jesus is the Messiah sent from God. Okay. You're going to see it in his actions. You're going to see it in his teachings, how he is king. He is this great teacher. Um, you're going to see where Jesus is behaving or patterning or reflecting or showing himself even to be the prophesied uh, prophet that Moses spoke about. So he's going to do some things that Moses did. He's going to do some things that, um, that only the Messiah is expected to do. Um, you're, you're in for a very joyful ride in the book of Matthew. Amen. <laughs> if, if you put on the lens of the kingdom of God yes. and look for where God's presence, mm -hmm. God's power, and God's principles, you are on the right path. As you read, look where the principles of God the power of God and the presence of God is manifested in Jesus, then you are on a good path as you read the book of Matthew. One of my favorites. <laughs> amen, amen. And you did say that before, that Matthew is one of your favorites. Well, I preempted. I, 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 I yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Thanks. Thanks, thanks again, Pastor. And I want to also take this time to say thanks to our viewers for following along with the reading plan and also for submitting your questions every week. And uh, just to remind you, it only takes a few seconds. Please subscribe to the Plantation SCA Church's YouTube um, channel, and um, so you can be notified. But also, so you know, you can get all the you can you can be the first to be notified of when our, our programs are coming up. <laughs> okay, all right, um, Pastor Mark, can you pray for, um, to close for us? Certainly, loving God, we thank you tonight that through our study, one of the things that became evident to us is that you are sovereign God. And that while you may correct us because, of you, because you love us, your correction doesn't last long. You always invite us back into relationship with you. You call us back into a hopeful relationship, a loving, caring relationship. And we can experience this relationship, most of all, in the person you have sent as your witness to bring your kingdom on earth, Jesus Christ himself. So help us to know you, to love you, and to experience you through Christ our Lord. 
and in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible and Must. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unmasked.